Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. The Knicks are on the brink of elimination. They lost 113 to 96 in Atlanta in game four of their first round series. Now down 3 1. Gavin, not the result that we were hoping for at this point in this series. Uh, what do we have to talk about today as far as this latest loss, second straight in Atlanta? You know, it's, it's going to be a mix, Alex, between uh, the pain and pessimism and darkness surrounding the next season that could be just one more game. It, it hurts to say that, given how great this year has been. But also uh, some silver linings. We'll talk Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett having their best games of the season, Derek Rose's continued success, uh, Obi Toppin showing some real flashes, and then on the downside of things, uh, Tibbs' continued lack of adjustments. Randall coming out and playing pretty badly, and the Atlanta Hawks just all in all completely outclassing the New York Knicks. That's a painful sentence. We'll get into it all right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join Gavin and I this week, Thursday at 5.30 p.m. to get in on the action. It is available on iOS and Android now. I tried it on Android this past week. It works. It's good. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, play-by-play man, by-trade podcast host, talking Knicks here again, as always. And, uh, man, what a game. Again, not in a good way. Uh, This time, at least, it was close through the first half. You know, I went into the half having hope. The Knicks were uh, only down by a handful of points at the break, four to be exact, and then get completely blown out in the third quarter, 35-22 by the Hawks. That would wind up being the decisive uh, blow to the Knicks in this game, much like the 22-3 run in Game 3 was to them uh, as far as losing that game. Just took all the wind out of their sails. They made a couple of feeble attempts at a comeback and... It were rebuffed by the Hawks, um, and ultimately that was it. I mean, Gavin, I don't, I don't know how much there is. Uh, we can get into the minutia of this as far as the, um, you know, how we got here and everything. You know, what individual players did differently and stuff in this game, but by and large, it just kind of came down to the same thing as the previous games, I think, which is the Knicks just came out flat to start a quarter in this case, the second half, you know, in the third quarter coming out flat and, you know, they weren't making their own shots. They weren't executed on offense and they ran into a Hawks team that all of a sudden is firing on all cylinders. And quite frankly, the way that they're playing right now reminds me a lot of how the Knicks were playing during their 
nine game win streak and the the twelve out of thirteen win stretch, where it just seems like every shot that they're taking goes in from three. I mean, in this game, once again, I mean it not quite as robust as some of the other games in the series, but fifteen to thirty nine from three, good for almost thirty nine percent as a team. Um, Trey Young had his struggles from there, four of fourteen, but hit some real like dagger type threes that really kind of twisted the knife in the Knicks when they when they really needed uh, some you know to cut into the deficit a little bit. Then you have Bogdanovich shooting four of nine. John Collins shoots two of three and ends up with twenty two points, and he had mostly been a non factor in this series thus far. Um, you have Kevin Herter coming off the bench hitting three threes. I, it was basically just a you know, a matter of the Knicks not being able to make shots when they needed them at crucial junctures, you know, and then allowing the Hawks to just get open, uncontested looks on the other end. And unfortunately, the Knicks were not lucky enough to have those shots clang out. That's sort of been their MO all year in many ways, letting teams take a lot of three-pointers, but oftentimes it felt more strategic from the Knicks in the past, uh, you know, that they were letting the right guys be open for three. But unfortunately on this Hawks team, outside of Clint Capella, who just remains in the lane at all times and and has been sort of a, a stable presence there for the Hawks in his own right, as far as the rebounding and, you know, providing second chance opportunities, the defensive rebounding, the, the uh, defense, obviously, you know, the, he's he's been doing his thing there, but there's not really a single other player that gets playing time for the Hawks that you can leave open from three. Uh, the Knicks even managed to give up a three to Solomon Hill at one point, who's like, you know, they're like 10th man. I don't know. It, you know, it's just, there's not a single guy on this team you can take lightly. And the Knicks unfortunately have taken a number of them lightly and gotten burned for it over and over again from three. But what were kind of your broad strokes takeaways from this game? I, I think I like where you're starting because I've seen a lot of people put out on Twitter, man, they shouldn't be losing to the Hawks like this. And, and that's that's certainly true to some extent. And if the Knicks were playing as well as they did throughout that winning streak, I, I would call this a very even series. But through the first two games, I think we saw a case of both teams having their deficits. The Hawks were missing a disproportionate amount of open threes relative to the regular season where they were just a lights out shooting team. The Knicks obviously had their issues with Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett outside of Randle um, in the fourth quarter of Game 2 and, and somewhat of the third quarter of Game 2. And, and Reggie Bullock, you can throw into this category as well. Those guys all not playing well. The series shifts to Atlanta. Atlanta's deficits, again, the, the missing open threes, and they, they were leaving some stuff on the table in terms of the lineups they were playing and not having good a, a good balance, I would say, between – keeping their stars on the floor, but then ensuring that their bench units are strong enough, they fix that. The Knicks have failed to make, for the most part, any kind of adjustments in this series. And it feels weird to say that after a game four where Randall was at his best and RJ was at his best. You'd look at this box score after the game and say, all right, well, the Knicks really figured some things out. I think they figured little bits and pieces out. I I thought some of the stuff they did – in, in terms of getting Randall going towards the rim and ensuring that RJ was a bigger part of the offense were good, but their adjustments just didn't feel as significant or impactful as the ones we saw from Atlanta and Atlanta, as I keep saying, and as a lot of people keep saying, um, at least in terms of their offensive talent is certainly a more 
more talented team. I think the people who were saying the Knicks would win this series is, is they can just put more two-way guys out on the floor. The issue with that right now is Nate McMillan is doing this relatively simplistic thing right now. Uh, excuse me, is doing this relatively simplistic thing defensively of flooding the strong side, and the Knicks have yet to figure out an adjustment off of that. And it's primarily because Tom Thibodeau um, ran this team one way throughout the regular season, both in terms of personnel and strategy, and then asking them to do something dramatically different during the playoffs hasn't come to fruition, both in terms of, I, I, I assume they've tried to input adjustments during practices to make things, again, a little bit easier on Julius Randle, but those things haven't been showing up in the actual games. And then what I suggested going into last game, Alex, and what I think you were on board with, was them playing smaller more, especially when their centers just haven't been all that impactful. And I hesitate to say that after I, I thought Taj Gibson, all in all, played a pretty good game. Um, but Nerland's Noel did absolutely nothing. And it just felt like the best thing they could have done was honestly tried to match the Hawks point for point and either played Obi Toppin at center or at lineups with just Julius Randle in at center. And the Knicks went to that, but it was when the game was already over in the, in the last eight or so minutes when they were down 20 to 30 points. So this is a case of the Knicks either choosing not to make certain adjustments, making adjustments too late, or just having the inability to actually execute on the adjustments that they intended to make. And uh, we can get into uh, specifics, Alex, on all of that. But before we do, um, I wanted to tell people about Indeed. Uh, who knows who's going to be hiring this summer? Maybe, maybe, maybe the Knicks even will. But let's just let's just look at an example. You're the hiring expert for your company, and what you really need is help making your shortlist of quality candidates. You need a hiring manager who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications, and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, you can get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description right away. And Indeed skills tests that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You can choose for more than 130 skill tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. And today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar, which, if you have not heard, is the best tasting protein bar ever. They have nine delicious flavors available at all times including occasional limited time flavors. I'm going to I'm going to speed read all the nine flavors. Coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. And you guys already know coconut almond is my go-to flavor as a huge almond joy guy. I I get much joy out of coconut almond. Haha. <laughs> uh it's cuz it tastes just like a candy bar, but instead of an almond joy which is filling me full of fat and sugar and stuff that I don't need, uh, Built Bars are filling me with all kinds of stuff that I do need, like 17 whopping grams of protein compared to only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. They truly taste just like a candy bar, but don't give you any of those high-calorie, high-fat 
guilty feelings like you get after you eat a candy bar. So if you want to get some for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, so moving right along with our discussion here, uh, playoff action, Knicks losing to Atlanta. We might not get to say that too much longer, Gavin. Uh, might not get to to be talking about the playoffs much past Game 5, uh, which I will be in the building for. I hope the Knicks at least put on a good show for the MSG crowd one more time, uh, but the odds are really not in their favor to come back and win this series. Uh, my guy, Colin Loring, who's been on this show before uh, for the Strickland wrote in his recap, looked up and only 13 teams in history have come back from a three, one deficit. So not looking too great for the Knicks in that regard. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's going to change with this series based off what we've seen so far. Uh, if it was all games like the first game, then maybe I'd say that we're on the road towards that. Uh, that, you know, maybe, oh, they like, you just see a few bounces here and there, but this has turned into a, a little more than just a few bounces here and there um, in, in terms of the way that these games have gone. Um, but yeah, Gavin, where, where do you want to go next? I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. I'm just like, I'm still a little shell shocked about this game. I was telling you before we started recording that <laughs> it, we're, we're recording this at night. After, you know, a, a number of hours to decompress, I watched like the Lakers game right after to kind of like just watch some other teams and like not think about the Knicks for a little bit. And I think I really needed that because I was very much like angry after this game. <laughs> it just it doesn't make me happy. My competitive side comes out big time when the games actually matter. And I was like ready to punch a hole in my wall by the end of this game just because I found so many of the things to be so frustrating. I think the biggest thing is just seeing like when the Knicks do generate good looks in this series, it's the ones that were falling when they were playing so good during the win streak and everything. And now they just don't fall anymore because like the team has clearly just kind of lost its mojo as far as confidence in their shot and everything. And they're not, they're not approaching things in rhythm probably because they're not approaching most of the game from a position of power anymore. Once they give up this, like the, the big run to the Hawks, you know, whenever it happens, second quarter, third quarter, the Knicks are no longer in a position of power and they're they're fighting from behind, which they did a lot early in the season, but I, I think is kind of foreign to them at this point because they they spent like a month and a half playing like one of the best teams in the NBA and now all of a sudden have cooled down. Um, but where, where do you want to take the discussion next as far as this game and everything that went on with it? Yeah, I think it's it's hard to tell how much of it is is psychological and how much of it is the playoffs unveiling things that maybe we knew to be true to some extent, but are now, are now getting um, brought to light under, under the bright lights of the postseason. Uh, That that was poorly said, but, uh, but I'll explain what I mean. Um, I think we're we're seeing the difference between what this team can or or did for stretches of the year that might prove long-term to be a little fluky and what actually sustains so I'm, I'm not saying that to say something like Julius Randle's season was a fluke. He, he was incredible. And he was incredible for 72 games. And as our guy John Schmilk pointed out on Twitter, um, his season maybe even looks better in retrospect now that we see how little the supporting cast holds up to any type of scrutiny or pressure. Um, and, and that's not, again, that's not even an insult to the rest of the guys on this team because they've all played extremely well and above their heads pretty much the whole season. 
Um, but that's to say you, you compare Randall to someone like Trey Young. And, and again, you don't want to draw too much from four games. But at least in terms of their offensive talent, there's a clear level of difference. Randall's a really, really good player. Trey Young is whatever that next tier is. You want to call it elite. You want to call it like a megastar. You want to call it someone who's going to be perennial All-NBA versus just All-NBA in the best season of their career. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say this because I know uh, all Knicks fans, my, myself included, at certain times during the series, really, really do not particularly like Trey Young. But he, he's, he's on another level. And he's tortured the Knicks now for four games. And I, I was saying it on Twitter. There, there were moments during the first half of this game where I, I, want, I want to make it clear. I think the Knicks played, if not an exceptionally good first half, given Randall's ongoing limitations, I thought they were really good in the first half of this game and did everything they could to fight against the Hawks team that is just clicking on all cylinders right now. And yet they had all these um, situations offensively where the Hawks would, or usually Trey, would win off the dribble initially and it put the Knicks into scramble. And, And all year the Knicks have been exceptionally good in those spots where they're running and recovering and communicating. And you saw the collective defensive brilliance that guided this team to such highs throughout the regular season, brought us all so much joy. And yet, it's that old old uh, axiom that great offense beats great defense every time. And what Trey Young does is he wins, someone on the Knicks rotates over, and then most even really good offensive players will then, as they're driving to the rim, just make the next pass. And, and that'll kick off a sequence where you swing, 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 and you probably get a good shot. The Knicks' defense this year has been good enough that teams usually don't get a great shot in those situations, or at least more often than not relative to other teams, don't get a great shot in those situations. But what Trey does is he doesn't make the next pass. He makes the next, next pass. He skips a jet, he skips a step, and he throws these 25, 26-foot cross-court dimes, no-look, full speed into the shooter's pocket and all of a sudden, like everyone in the Knicks' brains freeze up for a second. It's like, wait, did he just really make that pass? And all of a sudden, you have to make the next, next rotation. And you get caught in these scenarios where um, all of a sudden the ball is beating the man and they're getting open threes. I, I actually I wrote down, it reminds me of, of sort of the uh, poor man's version of what we saw the Spurs do to the Miami Heat in 2014 in the finals where that Heat defense was known for being so athletic, so swarming. I mean, between Wade, Bosch, LeBron, all the all the other athleticism and smarts that team had, no one could really break them. But then the Spurs just would throw five genius-level passers on the floor at the same time, and they ripped that defense to shreds. This, this is the baby version of that. And that's kind of how I felt about the Hawks' offense. And they do that enough times, and all of a sudden, those Knicks rotations that were so crisp throughout the early parts of the game – so crisp throughout the regular season, start getting a little bit slower. There, there are all of a sudden these these small little cracks in the veneer, and, and then and then you get the floodgates, right? The the whole wall crumbles down. I'm mixing a lot of different analogies now. It's getting a little far fetched, but that's when you get the breakdowns you're seeing in the second half. And Kevin Herter is launching wide open three after wide open three. Danilo Gallinari of all people is getting a wide open dunk right under the basket. And I, I think that's what happened to our Knicks today. And unfortunately, as I was getting into in the first half, and I'll throw it to you to talk about this a little bit, Alex, the Knicks were unable to make the tactical adjustments necessarily necessary to keep up with the Hawks offensively. And Julius Randle, despite, again, having what I would say is pretty clearly his best game of the series, 
didn't get enough done early in this game to give the Knicks a real chance. Because I, I think if Randall was hot and hitting big shots early on in this game, all of a sudden you would have had a scenario where the Knicks might have had a little lead at halftime, a little bit of a cushion, and they would have had the will to fight back when the Hawks landed their punches in the third quarter. Instead, Randall was sort of just fine, and they didn't get quite enough. And Barrett, who, who really finished strong in this game, was sort of just fine. And it, it wasn't enough because the Knicks need a superstar performance or a couple of superstar performances to match what the Hawks are doing. And between Randall not providing that and the supporting cast not really giving Randall the, the space or the help to get going, the Knicks just didn't have enough to keep up with the Hawks. Yeah, it's certainly been a rough playoffs for Randall and RJ. And today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. I certainly found myself jonesing for a Michelob Ultra during this game. Um, and, and, you know, to, to work off your point there, Gavin, I, I do agree. I think that Randall did kind of just like find the touch a little too late in this game. Um, if anyone forgot what his shooting line was at any given point in the game, ESPN seemed to be bringing it up like every two seconds uh, to point out that he was, Oh, well, oh, Randall's two for six now or two for eight or whatever. Oh, now he's two for three for nine. I think was the one that, that seared in my brain where I was like, Hey, yeah, for a guy shooting like 24% for the series, 33% ain't half bad. Um, and you know, he managed to actually get himself up to seven for 19 for the game, two or four from three, seven and nine from the free throw line, like almost got a 23 point triple double with 23 points, 10 rebounds, seven assists, two steals. I, it was definitely, you know, like you just said, his best effort of the series so far, but it was in a way too little too late. And, I give him props for at least finding his game at some point during this game, but it just, it was almost at the point where, you know, cause they gave up such a crippling run at the beginning of the third quarter that then by the time that Randall started finding his offense, it was already kind of too little too late. And, you know, then he got subbed out uh, for Obi who, you know, Obi put in some really good minutes again. And then, you know, just, it was basically done by the time that Randall got back in the game. You know, the Knicks were down by double digits still. They managed to, you know, almost get it right before the fourth quarter. They managed to almost get it uh, back to uh, like 10 points-ish again. Couldn't quite do that. And, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. And and they wound up obviously losing the game and, and not having any momentum to speak of um, for most of the way. But if Randall had been able to come out and make a couple of those threes early on, which he was taking them. I mean, he was, he was taking shots very early and often in this game. It wasn't like he was, uh, you know, being tentative or anything else. It, he clearly was aggressive in this game. And, and that was probably the biggest reason that he, you know, succeeded more was he was attacking some of these bad matchups for him, like attacking Gallinari and stuff like that. And, and trying to take advantage maybe to a little too much at, at points, you know, as far as getting offensive fouls called on him and stuff. But, you know, it was it was encouraging to see him like going after his matchups that way and and trying to be aggressive and not as tentative as he was in the first three games, which really just sunk him. Um, but at any rate, I'm going to just remind everybody real quick, if you want to 
maybe bet on the Knicks and, you know, hope for the best and bet for a game five win. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams work through the playoffs, in the case of the NBA, or work through the ever long regular season in the MLB. So head to the website betonline.ag on your computer, mobile device, tablet. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code locked on. Again, that's betonline.ag promo code locked on for 50% extra on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and we're back. Talking about the Knicks 113-96 to loss to the Hawks. Of course, again, the Knicks down 3-1 to to the Hawks now, heading back to Madison Square Garden. Extremely unlikely that they pull this off, but they are still in it, technically speaking, until, until such a day that they uh, get knocked out. Julius Randle did say it's not over yet, so you know maybe he's got some big plans. Maybe this has all just been a rope-a-dope to you know, come back and win in seven. Who knows? Uh, but at any rate... Gavin, one thing that really kind of stuck out to me today was the fact that Reggie Bullock just didn't have it in this game. And I love Reggie Bullock to death. Um, I I think he provided so much great shooting and spacing for the Knicks this year um, in that starting lineup. A lot of great defense. You know, he really busts his butt when he's out there. I, I have zero issues with how he plays, you know, by and large. I do have some issues with how he's being utilized in this series, though. And they sort of all came to a head today. It's just, I I feel like a broken record because I, I said some of this during the last episode too, but the big thing is that they just keep putting the Hawks, I mean, keep putting Trey Young on Bullock and then the Knicks keep not punishing them for doing that. You know, they're, they're not doing anything to really free up Bullock. Um, they're putting Bullock in really uncomfortable situations and making him be like a, a ball handler, you know, and run pick and rolls and, and all this other stuff, which just is not his game at all. Like his his game pretty much all year has been coming off screens, you know, getting free or just kind of finding his right spot when guys go to double Julius Randle or whatever and, you know, hitting open threes. I mean, that's it. That's basically the game for him is just find open threes somehow. That's, that's your job. Maybe sometimes take those like sidestep uh, or step in, you know, long twos that, that have worked for him in the past and, didn't work for him today because nothing worked for him today. He went 0 4, 0 3 from 3 in 34 minutes. It's not like he played no minutes at all. Zero points, four rebounds, two assists, and a turnover. I I was not in love with the decision to keep him out there today. It just felt like, you know, when the Knicks really needed some buckets, you reached a certain point, you know, like in the third quarter when you're trying to save this game, when it's already kind of on life support uh, as the Hawks are going on this run. It, that was the time to try something different and Tibbs just didn't do it, you know, and the, I think the move would have been to take out Bullock and put in someone who can handle the ball. And I, I, I know that people, you know, there's, there's a certain segment of fans that hate to hear this, but I just think that trying Frank Nilakina, what could you have possibly lost by giving him a shot? 
Like he's shown at times this year and last year that he could put the ball on the floor and get inside sometimes and finish inside. He can shoot the three. I mean, he shot low volume, unfortunately, thanks to never being able to carve out playing time somehow. But I mean, he shot like 45% from three this year and like almost 50% from the corners. And it was not particularly fluky. And on top of it, he can dribble the ball like much better than Reggie Bullock can. I, and, you know, you don't lose anything on defense with him if you put him out there and give him the same defensive assignment, which is basically bottle up Trey Young. If anything, you maybe gain something by putting Frank out there instead of Bullock, which isn't a knock on Bullock. It's more just a testament to the fact that Frank is a six foot seven dude with an over seven foot wingspan, you know, who would be trying to contain a guy who's, you know, has like half that wingspan and is like a solid like half a foot shorter. You know, it's it's just kind of a no brainer. And I, I don't know. The, the big thing to me is that they just need what's become clear is that they just need more creation, you know, more guys that can create for themselves as well as maybe others a little bit. But Randall, with the way that they've been playing him, is having a really hard time finding a way to get these guys open. And that was kind of the staple of the Knicks offense all year was Randall drives, Randall kicks, sugar hits. That's it. You know, that that was the, the blueprint. You, he drives in. He looks to the corner for, you know, RJ or Bullock or whoever. And then if that's not open, then he looks up, you know, above the break, whether it be in, and usually on a jump, you know, he'd jump and make this decision midair, but know that like one of the three spots at like his, his like noon one thirty or three would be open. Um, and, and, you know, made the decision based off of that and would, chuck it to one of these guys on the perimeter. And then if they didn't have a shot, they would keep kicking it around the perimeter. And that's how the Knicks found their shots so often this year. This The way that the Hawks are defending them, they, they just haven't been able to do that because, you know, they're they're scaring Randall away from the paint, which means that he can't get to his optimal spots to hit these guys. The defense isn't collapsing on him so much as just kind of like shading towards him. He can't look to the, the middle a lot of times because Capella is so lengthy that he can disrupt Taj Gibson enough a lot of times, although they did have a couple of nice connections uh, in the first half, Randall and, and Taj, which we'll, we'll give Taj his uh, shout out in a minute. But, you know, the, it, they just, the big thing is that the Knicks have needed more guys than just Julius Randall out there able to, you know, dribble the ball a little bit, as silly as that sounds, you know. And they, they have Derrick Rose who can do that. Um, Emmanuel quickly has had a real hard time trying to create anything other than just long three-pointers in this series. Um, so he hasn't really been the answer as far as being able to break down the defense. Burks, when he's playing a more team-oriented game, can do that. But he's had some issues with that, particularly in this game. I mean, I found myself just wishing that he would be out of the game uh, not too far into it just because he was he was doing okay from a scoring perspective early on. But he just had pure tunnel vision, and it, it really cost the Knicks a few points on some possessions. Um and, you know, so then it, it, you start whittling down that list and all of a sudden, like, I just think Frank would have been a better option than Bullock in this game. And I, I don't know why when just with their back against the wall and essentially the season on the line, you would have thought the Tibbs would have tried something, anything different. And and say he just kind of rode the same horses like he always does and effectively rode the rest of the season into the ground because um, I, I really... I'd be surprised if the Knicks won game five, if we're being completely honest. But even if they do, I I think it's near impossible that they win game six and force a game seven. 
Um, I would love to be proven wrong, but I just don't see it happening. So Gavin, I, I don't know how you feel about all that. I kind of ranted, uh, but that that's been bothering me. That, that's probably the single biggest thing that I've noticed that I'm just like, how do you have Trey Young, one of the worst, least physically gifted defenders in the league, and just allow him to get off scot-free on every defensive possession and give him all this energy to go kill you on offense. When in reality, you should be trying to beat him up on when he's on defense, you know, try to punish him, try to switch RJ Barrett onto him and make him guard RJ in a post up every possession or so such a Julius Randall on him, let him take a Julius Randall, you know, shoulder to the chest and see how he likes it. You know, it's just, there's so many, better ways they could be handling the Trey situation to kind of rough him up a little and get him out of his comfort zone. Instead, they've just been saying like, sure, take the whole defensive possession off and you can go down and just splash threes in our face and make great passes on the other end with full energy because you don't have to expend any on defense. It's it's just kind of mind boggling to me. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people on Twitter, including uh, your website's account, made the analogy that Tib sort of has Mike Budenholzer syndrome where you, you played a certain way in the regular season. You developed this great consistency, and it benefited you in the regular season. It led to you winning um, a disproportionate amount of games relative to your talent, and you get into the playoffs, and all of a sudden you, you don't have a changeup, and, and you start getting hit. Um, but to circle back to your Reggie Bullock point, I, I think it jives well with what I was saying early in the show where the Knicks, I, I think some of the unsustainable elements of their best basketball of the season – is sort of being highlighted. And I think Bullock is is kind of chief among them because what Bullock did during the winning streak and really just about everything post-All-Star break where he was well over 40% from three on a pretty significant volume and was shooting off of movement, was shooting off the dribble, just, just doing a lot of stuff at a really high level. That wasn't really who he's been his whole career. And then you look over at the Hawks roster and they have someone like um, Bogdan Bogdanovich um, and Danilo Gallinari who are carrying over their hot shooting. I mean, Gallo not for the first two games and actually not even tonight um, into the playoffs to some extent. But I I guess my my point there is they have guys who are either professional shooters or professional scorers. And I've done this their whole careers at really high levels. Like Gallo off the bench in this game, 21 points because he got eight free throws um, and sank six of his nine shots. Bogey made four threes in this game. And the Hawks have these guys that are probably overqualified for where they are on the team. Like John Collins was someone that people talked about as a prospective all-star this season and in past seasons. And he's what? He's the Hawks' fourth option, third option, maybe, depending on the night in their starting lineup. Uh, Gallo going off. That's a luxury for them. Kevin Herter, who's really good, is the eighth or ninth man. That's sort of the... Again, maybe, maybe people won't appreciate these terms given how this series is going, but that, that's sort of the beauty of these Hawks teams. They have all these guys who are too good to be playing the role they're in. The Knicks, conversely, you, you look up and down their roster and you can make a pretty compelling case that they have guys who are underqualified for the role they're in. Like Randall, based on past production before this season, probably shouldn't be the best guy on a top four playoff seed. And even based on what he did this season, we're seeing now, in the, in, again, in the light of the postseason, that he's not good enough to be the best guy on a top four seat and win a series that way. And that's not a knock on Julius Randle. That means he's really, really good. It means it, it just translates to he's probably not quite as good as the 15 or so best guys on planet Earth. And it, it kind of confirms what we already knew, 
and that the Knicks have to find someone better than Randall to go a little bit further. Um, same with RJ Barrett with, with the notation that RJ is still really, really young and he could get to the point where he should be the second guy on a second round or a third round or a finals playoff team, but he's just not quite there yet. And you, I can, I can keep going and going and going, but for essentially every guy on the Knicks that's in their spot, you can make the case that they're not quite good enough for that spot as of now. And during that winning streak, they were all playing like they were good enough for that spot. And that team that we saw during that massive winning streak would, I, I, I'm not going to say would win this series, but it would go to seven games and it, it would go right down to the wire because the Hawks are good, but they're not great. And, and, and the Knicks have enough talent to expose that. But anyways, um, let's, uh, let, let's get to some other points before we wrap up. R.J. Barrett. Finally figuring things out, Alex. What, what did you see from him in this one that allowed him to finally get it going and, and finish with what was, frankly, his first really good game of the series? I thought that, I mean, there's a variety of things, I think, that helped him out. But for one thing, he sort of let the – I know it's such a cliche, but he let the game come to him. Like, he wasn't – didn't feel like anything was forced. He was getting inside. He was using his body to create space on the inside. And – he sort of got going by finishing on the inside first and then working his way out. And then all of a sudden the, the three pointers started falling a little better. It, granted he shot two of six. So it's not the best that we've seen from him this year. Obviously he's had some games where he's made, you know, six three pointers, which is way better than that. Uh, but you know, he finally kind of found the range from three a bit. He, he seemed like he finally understood that the guys that the Hawks were putting on him can't really contain him. Because uh, not very many guys can at his general wing position. He's a very, very strong dude. Uh, so he managed to get inside and, and get some hard finishes that way. Um, draw a few free throws as well. He shot four of those, which was second on the team. And then the other thing was getting out in transition with him. Like I thought that that was something. And that was something that he struggled with, to be clear. Like so far this year, um, or not this year, so far this series, I should say, Uh you know, has been getting out in transition and doing the right thing with the ball rather than just throwing up weird layups that are from like, you know, he would, he would be like almost all the way off of the backboard, you know, like not even in line with, with any backboard and having to kind of angle it at this weird direction from, you know, six, seven feet away from the hoop, trying to make like these weird layups. And of course they were clanging and going like all the way the other direction. And then in some cases starting a fast break for the Hawks. Um, But in this game, I just thought that he was being more decisive. He could have potentially had, he ended with 21 points. He could have had 23 points, if not for uh, a real gaffe by Bullock in transition at one point, who just like forgot how to dribble and uh, screwed up a two on one fast break that probably would have ended with an RJ dunk and instead turned it over. Uh, and then I think the Hawks hit a three right after that. So it's kind of like a five point swing, but just not uh, not great moment by Bullock there. But we're not really talking about him at this point. Um, in general, though, I, I just think that the big thing with RJ was just letting himself get comfortable doing doing the things that he does best. And then the shot confidence kind of came back to him. And to, like to Randall's credit, too, not to turn this into a Randall thing, but. Randall was trying to do the same thing. And I thought that he did a lot better job of finding his spots as far as finding the shots that he's comfortable taking early in this game. They just didn't fall, but he was getting that, that right side baseline, like fader 
going out of bounds, sort of, that he loves to shoot uh, off a step back and just couldn't hit that. He took a couple step back threes and just couldn't make those. And, you know, it seemed like he was getting what he wanted early in this game. And then it just, when that didn't work out, then, you know, things didn't really get back on the rails for him until, again, it was it was already too late. But I did think from both those guys, they did, they did a good job of kind of getting to their spots and uh, getting you know, in situations that were conducive to them scoring. But how did you feel about uh, RJ and his sort of resurgence in this game? Like, did it give you more hope for him going forward? Or was it just kind of like, oh, well, I need to see more of this? Or like, what? I Obviously, I think we're both pretty bullish on his potential going forward. But there is there is obviously questions about, like, how high he can go. And I, this series, for better or worse, has made me with a lot of the guys on the Knicks question these things as far as like big picture, how are these guys going to react like being on playoff teams going forward? Yeah. I, I want to see him do it again in game five. And to me, and again, not fully because he, even before the fourth quarter, it was easily his best game of the series and it, it wasn't particularly close, but a decent amount of it came in garbage time and, a decent amount of it, and not not that this is bad, but came in transition. And I want to see him find ways to generate points against the set defense. And we haven't seen much of that this season. And that was something that he really did show during the regular season, his ability to get into the mid-range and splash jumpers or his ability to take someone like he did Kevin Herter in the fourth quarter all the way to the rim and just use his strength to get to the basket and then his length and touch to finish. So I'm hoping for a bit more of that from RJ early in the game while it's still close, while it's still competitive. I I would love for him to be the difference in a win. And obviously through four games of the series, that's not something we can say so far. But again, happy he got on track. And I think the biggest thing for him is is just to get some confidence and see some shots go in. Because we saw it in this game too, and we've seen it early in the series. It's not like he's been way off on most of his threes. There's just been a bunch that have gone in and out and and it's all the more frustrating because it feels like every single one of those shots for the Hawks goes in um so I'm hoping RJ can build on this and have a great game five whether or not the Knicks win and continue their season um but final notes for me Alex because we're going way too long for a game that really sucked shout out to Taj Gibson uh awesome defensive effort especially at the point of attack um you were talking to me a little bit about this pre-show but the way he just came up on those really hard doubles and, and then was just so aggressive about using his length to poke the ball away. I don't know if it translated to the rest of the team, but his, his intensity really stood out to me. And, and you got you got the sense, which is true for him, that this is someone who's been in a bunch of do-or-die basketball games before, which this game to some extent essentially was for the Knicks. And, and he played like it in terms of the way he forced the issue defensively. The ESPN box score lists him as only having two steals. I unofficially had him at like four, but... Um, I, I thought he made a real impact on that end. And then shout out to Obi Toppin, 13 points in 19 minutes. Again, a, a, a bit of it came in garbage time. And, and it, I must note at the top, he did return to his old ways in finding a way to miss a quarter three in the worst way possible, where it was both too long and it looked completely offline. There's something about those corners. Maybe maybe he just needs to go to a good eye doctor this summer. It could be a depth perception thing um, that, that tend to occasionally trip him up. Um, but less and less as the season has gone on, and and this is a this is a pro OB segment because man, he he had another beautiful move. He, he, it, it's the one thing in his repertoire that 
consistently works off the dribble. I think most people who watch Obi agree that's the part of his game he really, really has to work on, um, having a more coordinated and tight handle. But he runs those those fake dribble handoffs, and he's gotten to the point where he can do it when there's not even really another Nick near him. Like he was dribbling against Gallo, and I think it was Quickly who was vaguely in his vicinity, but wasn't actually close enough to get the ball in a handoff. But Obi just tried the move where he kind of stops and almost motions like he's going to give the ball to someone. And for whatever reason, it completely froze Gallo. And then he continued and in one motion uh, finished with his left hand without ever gathering with the right. And, and obviously, he still has to, um, like his, his handle was like, felt like it was four feet away from his body. And if someone had come over and helped, they probably would have gotten a little bit of an easy steal on it. But it is really impressive how he's able to go from his uh, dribble to his gather to his finish all with one hand and then you take into account his length and athleticism and it, and it looks genuinely impressive I, I, I still think there are there are major major strides to uh, I, I guess be made in that capacity of his game but it's encouraging that he's trying those things and, and they're succeeding to some extent on the biggest stage imaginable yeah I, I'm, I'm in agreement I, I really liked what I've seen out of Obi as well um, I, that same play that you just mentioned was the one that kind of popped to me, just the, the ability to get in there and, and finish with his left, um, and, and, you know, to do it in a, in a difficult fashion there where he was sort of like overextending himself to try to get that in. It, it was a really impressive possession to me. I hope that he, you know, it's so strange, just like this 180 that we've had to take on our expectations for him. We were expecting like pick and roll city lob city with him all season, you know, that he would maybe pick and pop a little bit from time to time, but then most of his damage would be done after setting a pick. And instead it's become like, Oh, uh, Obi really needs to work on off the dribble and spot up three point shooting and all this other stuff. Just a very interesting way that his, his sort of arc has gone this year. And that might be why, you know, he's kind of, struggled for most of the year and then just now been starting to find himself is that, you know, he was kind of asked to do completely different things from what he did in college. And now is finally starting to get around to him. But yeah, I, I was really encouraged by, it. I hope, you know, if the Knicks fall behind again in game five, I hope that Tibbs just says, screw it. This is the final game of the season. If we lose this and tries throwing out Randall and Toppin, just see how it goes. Hopefully you could pull that off and like, you know, maybe that's how you give Taj his rest because McMillan's been pretty strict at, about minutes and stuff like that. Even though this is the playoffs, like Capella, I mean, you could you could thank garbage time for some of this because not a lot of guys on the you know the Hawks were able to sit some guys down pretty early thanks to that huge lead. But like Capella only played twenty eight minutes in this game. That means you have twenty minutes minus Capella, and with you know maybe Okongwu who clearly. To my eye, I mean, despite all the great stuff that we heard about him going into the draft last year about being NBA ready and all that, he does not look NBA ready right now. He's his minutes have, I think, largely been a disaster. Um, and, you know, then you also have like sometimes you get a, a small lineup with uh, John Collins out there at the five. Uh, either of those situations are situations where you could just experiment with this OB and Randall thing and see how it goes. Hopefully have Randall try to defend whoever's going to be more of the post threat have Obi kind of be the guy that can hopefully, you know, shade over and maybe get a help block or something. And you should be able to hopefully not hemorrhage points then and still have then two guys in the four and five spot that are offensive threats 
Obi, who's a, a huge lob threat that Randall could probably take advantage of if they keep throwing this like soft double at him with the opposing center, whoever that happens to be at that moment, you know, that, that's maybe something you could try and hopefully take advantage of. Yeah, obviously, I don't think either of those two guys can come close to stopping Capella, but it, it's something to try as a wrinkle in the other minutes. And I guess we'll we'll see if Tibbs tries it in the final game of the playoffs. But, you know, considering we're close to the end of the season now, that's just really something that I hope that he opens himself up to next year a little more and learns from his mistakes this year of being, I think, a little too close-minded with his rotations during the regular season all in the name of getting as many wins as possible in the regular season and, you know, never really experimenting with things, which I guess also just happens when you have a team that's at overall a talent deficit. You know, we do have to take a step back and remember, like, this team was projected by Vegas to win, like, 21 games this year, and they won 41. So clearly Tibbs milked everything out of this roster they could, and then some. Um, so you can't really fault him too much for it, but hopefully – with a little talent infusion and stuff like that, the Knicks will be in a position where not every game comes down to like the final few possessions for these wins. And they can have more blowouts potentially to try new things with these guys and, or more like lower pressure situations where they're up by 10 or something in the third quarter and can screw around for five minutes or so and see how like Obi and Randall work together. Cause one thing is abundantly clear right now. And that's that Obi deserves to have a role on this team uh, going forward and, uh, hopefully get more minutes than what he's been getting at present, you know, uh, of getting in this game, almost 20 minutes, but if not for garbage time, he probably would have had his usual like 12 to 14 minutes. And I, I think he's proven at this point that he deserves more than that. So I, I just want uh, to throw out really quickly, Alex, they did. Yeah. Take actually, us home. Gavin. Yeah. Take us home. Yeah. Very, very fast. They did let Obi roll to the basket once this game and, and or at least once that I noticed and D Rose hit him, on a beautiful underhanded pocket pass and Obi finished with like this acrobatic, like up and under around the, around his defender. So just, just let Obi run to the rim, man. See, see what happens. He's really, really good at it. It's, it's the single best thing he does. And it's, it's kind of a travesty that he's hardly gotten to do it all season. And to your point, those Randall Obi lineups would open, um, open the Knicks up to be able to do just that. But on that happy note, uh, there will be a game five. It will be on Wednesday. It'll potentially be the Knicks' last game of the season, but hopefully not. Regardless, we will have all your coverage then. We'll have all your coverage before, and we'll have all your Knicks coverage throughout the offseason. But for now, for Alex Wolf, I'm Gavin Shaw. Until next time, peace out.